It looks like the clock is about to strike midnight on this Cinderella story. It's uh, refreshing, yet uh, displeasing to the eye. Somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hat and a red shirt. Now he takes off the shirt. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. In the dying seconds! Unbelievable! They wouldn't say die! That just shows that they didn't come to play. They really come to play here at the MCG tonight. Hello and welcome to another edition of They Came to Play Round 6. What is happening? Like, how did it be round six already? Anywho, uh, if you're listening in Queensland, congratulations on on coming up to your third long weekend in a row. That's something that I learned this week, that we all have two and they have three in a row. That just seems unfair. But anyway, life's better in Queensland, I suppose. My name's Tess Armstrong. Life is certainly not better at Tigerland. We will probably just skip over that game, won't we, Danny McGinley? Uh, no, normally I would take a lot of joy in uh, discussing a Richmond <laughs> loss, but uh, yeah, I, I found this weekend to be quite uh, boringly predictable. I got eight out of nine tips right, and the one I got wrong, of course, was my oh. team losing by a point. <laughs> well, look, we need, we're so out and about, we're so down and out, right? Our teams are such losers. So we need some like actual, uh, what do they call it? Independent, unbiased and a critical <laughs> eye who's not going to buy in to our down and out team. And that's also probably because his team won. Welcome back to the podcast, our very special friend, Mad Matt Clinch of ABC yeah. Sport. Hello, Matt. Tess, Danny, good morning, everyone. Hello, great to be with you. I'm taking this invitation because I wasn't invited as part of the AFL brigade to head to the US and try and sell our game to the best streaming servers available. So here I am, happy to talk some footy with you guys. And uh, yeah, it was a, another long weekend of footy with uh, with Monday footy and, and the Pies winner. So that always puts a smile on everyone's style. Well, most people. <laughs> Oh, Clinchy, I don't know about this AFL US contingent thing. I've been doing the comedy festival for the past month. What's what's this story? I've missed it. Yeah, so basically uh, members of the AFL have headed over to the US to try and meet with, I assume it's Amazon, one of the streaming providers, to see if they'd be interested in bidding on the next AFL broadcast agreement. So, of course, they've had a, a long-serving deal with Channel 7 and with Fox Sports, but... I guess the one interest has been, would there ever be a streaming platform like we see with the NFL where they pick up one game per weekend or per round uh, and then potentially look at having that on a different platform? So uh, the Chief Executive, Gil McLaughlin, the AFL EGM of clubs and broadcasts and Travis Old and uh, their strategy and general counsel, plus um, the EGM of football, Andrew Dillon. So I think that's about five or six people have all gone to the US. And I don't know about you, Danny, but it does scream a bit of junket for me. Let, let's put it in Oh, yes. See how we go. But in the meantime, let's go and watch some NBA finals. Let's, uh, let's go and meet some people. Shake some hands in the US. Research. We've got to go do some research. Also, can I just um, point out a historic moment? We have a C- a female CEO of the AFL at the moment because Kyla Rogers is acting yes. at chief executive of the AFL. So this may be as good as it ever gets, um, just FYI. It would be like if um, Kamala Harris had to step in for Joe. Like that's the closest we're ever getting to a female president. So I'm just going to mark the moment. While they're off in their junket, it gives us a bit of time to actually reflect on what we want to see because I've, I mean, I think uh, the internet doesn't seem to love Channel 7's coverage, but Channel 7's coverage has just always been what it is. It hasn't changed that much. They've tried a few new things this year and it seems to be, you know, okay and better. Foxtel, I mean, I still think 
the majority of Australian households don't have Foxtel, so the majority of Australian households don't see footy. You know, most of the games are footy each weekend. Um, mm. I realise I listen a lot on the radio, so I think there is definite work to do. But I think the work has to be surely make it more accessible, not less <laughs> accessible. So I kind of feel a bit um, confused, I suppose, about the philosophy. Clinchy, what do you what do you see happening and, like, what do you think should happen? Yeah, I think it's always an interesting one in terms of whether they want to try and maximise the most amount of money in which they can make, and we've seen record broadcasting agreements with Channel 7 and Fox, or whether they can get the best exposure for the game. And this has been a really interesting conversation around cricket with a lot of the the white ball, the international matches taking place behind the paywall, and it's to take nothing away from from Fox Sports, who have done a great job, but it does Mm -hmm. mean that for only the 30% of Australian um, residents who have access to subscription television, it means a lot are not getting access to, in this case, Australia's national team. Now, in terms of the AFL, I think it's a really interesting argument because we've seen other sports like the A-League in their um, their men's competition. They're now uh, available via Paramount, so a streaming company there. And I would say that's actually um, done a disservice to their sport. It's harder to find. Mm-hmm. Um, you're nowhere near as cross it as much as what you used to, and there's still one game that's been broadcast on Channel 10 as part of that broadcast agreement. So I think it's a really tricky one because you do run the risk that by order to, to make more money and, and start these relationships with streaming services, you're going to make your product less accessible to the people who are most interested in it. So I think that's a really interesting phase. And, and I don't know, we go back to 1987, the ABC had the, the VFL rights for one year. Maybe we try and put our hand up there and um, no, but in all honesty, uh, I think an order or a system that works with a, a, a subscription service and a free-to-air service that allows as many games, which is at the moment four, to be available on free-to-air seems to work pretty well. Danny, what do you think? I couldn't agree more with Clinchy. As an A-League fan, it has been absolutely impossible to watch A-League this year because they're on Paramount+, Plus, which only people... like I got a Paramount+, Plus very cheap with my Melbourne Victory membership, and but you can't go to a pub and watch an A-League game with friends because none of the pubs have Paramount and they they just look at you weird if you even ring up, if you even request it. So we need to keep it as accessible as possible. I'm sure Gil McLaughlin would love the legacy of making the most money, but uh, hey, that's not the most important thing to us. We need to show everyone this great game and and I'm happy they're going to America because Americans need to watch this sport and realise how far superior it is to their football. Yes, it is far superior. It's a real balance because the AFL would argue, I'm sure, that um, they need all the money to pay for things like community sport and AFLW and, you know, to boost their, their coming up to a negotiation with the players and all of that. But it's going to be a hard sell to tell someone in the country that this is so much better for them that they can't watch any football ever and that they have to pay money that they're not going to pay to get a streaming service. It doesn't have anything else that they want to watch the game that you're telling them is better off for all the money that they got. I just don't think this cuts through to regular people. I would say, like, something that would be good, you know, the Amazon program that was making their mark, which was really good storytelling about the clubs, if there was some kind of deal where they were to make content, um, long-form content about the about the game and then they got a game a week, I would see that working because I, I think there was huge value in that show um, to, to just help with the storytelling of our game a little bit better just to get some fresh eyes on it but anyway who knows we will see and I don't care enough about broadcast rights to talk about it for much longer now what I do care about is St Kilda they are up and about and they were up and about on Friday night against the Giants it was actually a pretty close game like I felt like it was closer than it that 
it's that the score says. Did, am I wrong in that? No, I think you're right. I think the, the Saints are playing some pretty good footy at the moment. They've won five on the trot. They haven't been five and one since 2010. Of course, they made a grand final oh. in that year. So the Saints fans two. are optimistic that what they're seeing might be really, <laughs> yeah, two grand finals. Um, but I mean, their, their dominance is around their, their centre clearance work. And, and they're able to do that without a, a dominant Ruckman on uh, mm. on Friday night with uh, both Jack Hayes and Ron Marshall suffering injuries. Unfortunately for for Jack Hayes, who, who came into the AFL system as a mature age recruit, he was a, a concreter on a, an $80,000 rookie fee, and then he would get match payments alongside that as well. So uh, the club have supported him and said he will be offered a, uh, a contract next year, which is more than what Brett Ratton knows. He doesn't know if he's going to get a contract after this year. But um, it was a really good sign for the Saints that the hitouts were heavily GWS's way, and the return of Toby Green was the upside for the Giants. But... For the amount of talent they have, especially in that midfield, when you think of Taranto, Canelio, um, throwing Callum Ward, um, Tom Green, um, it is surprising that a team like St Kilda were too strong. And and that says a bit about the Giants and the fact that so much of their, their financial investment is in that midfield and, and perhaps an inability to be able to, to execute that um, when they do have some injuries and their depth is tested. Yeah, they're also just playing like annoyingly boring footy like they have they're just not playing like they're not looking like they're having fun and they're not playing fun football and it's kind of annoying because you're like hang on no you have really good players it's like rat you know you have to say do you guys know who plays for you you have really exciting players why are you playing such boring football and why do you all look so nervous all the time like having a terrible time and I also I have a question for the two of you right I've, I there's been so many rule changes. I feel like I have lost a bit of track of this. But on Friday night, you know the rule change of the statues essentially have to stand very still on the mark. There was a GWS player on the mark jumping up and down, waving his arms around, and it wasn't called. What am I misinterpreting the rule? Like, isn't the rule that they have to stand super still on the mark? Why wasn't that called? <laughs> I know you don't know the exact incident I'm talking about, but I'm more alluding to the fact that sometimes I watch this game that I've watched. There's no other activity in my life I've done more than just watch football, right? I've done nothing else but watch football my <laughs> whole life. And yet I watch the games and I have absolutely no idea what's happening with the rules. And that feels bad. Yeah, I think the tinkering of the rules makes it hard to try and keep up unless you're watching it week on, week off. Um, so the, the change has been around players have to stand on the mark when the umpire instructs them to and that they can't have any dissent back to the umpires. And this is trying to address the issues at the, the low levels where we do see a lot of suburban footy where umpire abuse has been at an all-time high. And as a result, the participation numbers of umpires has severely declined. The, the challenge is whenever you try and make one of these changes on the eve of the season, and by all reports, the umpires in the AFL have gone and chatted to the club every every week in the lead up to the start of the season. It just makes it so inconsistent. So Dan McKenzie was one who gave away a 50-meter penalty on Friday night. He was pointing to the umpire to say it hit the ground before he claimed the mark and copped a 50-meter penalty as a result of that. Now, you'd argue that's not abuse. That's just trying to blatantly state the umpire got it wrong. And yet this is only going to heighten the fact that whenever an umpire makes a mistake, Mm-hmm. everyone's going to say, well, hang on, you're punishing the guy for pointing out you made a mistake. So it's almost going to do the opposite. But I think the players have embraced it. They realise now that they just have to, as Sean Darcy showed uh, in Saturday night's game against the Blues, hands on heads. Almost the old kids <laughs> rhyme. Put your hands on your head. Yeah. You can't say anything to the umpires. Make sure you're not gesturing with your hands because arms out. It's going to result in a 50-meter penalty. So I think the players are going to get it probably quicker than the fans will. Yeah, and in the in lieu of the players being able to abuse the umpires, um, the crowd has taken on that role in a 
bit of, in a bigger way. So he's hoping they don't change the rules to make the crowd not allowed to disagree with the umpire, otherwise we're in a bit of strife. Um, Danny, did you watch this game? I was uh, backstage at the uh, European Beer Cafe with some other comedians, but it was on. I was watching it with uh, with a friend of the show, Dave Hughes, and we were we were urging the Giants to come good and make it close, but uh, they just kept missing. I mean, there was one mm. point where Himmelberg uh, called for, you know, a player had taken a mark, having a set shot. Himmelberg said, I'll take it, I'll take it, hand pass it off, and he put it out of bounds on the full. But uh, the absolute highlight for me was, uh, you know, I'm sure Jack Hayes went through a lot of pain with his ruptured ACL, but there was a security guard that copped an absolute falcon sometime in the third quarter, and he was sitting there, you know, just rugged up. Yeah, this is Canberra on a Friday night in April. There's not, there's nowhere else colder than that, and those footy in the faces hurt, and yet he stayed stoic. He's clearly made of strong stuff. I'm glad he is protecting our nation's capital. <laughs> he should be drafted to the Giants. If he was there hanging around, maybe he could play for them. Now, Danny, let's move on to Saturday and just get it out of the way, right? The footy train came to my town and I left town, so I tragically did not get to go along and see the only game in my town for the entire year. However, it was a it was a cracker from a from a neutrals perspective, watching Adelaide do amazing things each week kind of out unexpectedly is so fun to watch and I'm sorry it happened against your team although I'm not because it also happened against my team the week before what what went wrong for your Um, for your dogs in the end no it's nothing nothing wrong this is just further proof that we are the greatest (laughs) side in the league now and and this is see when Richmond Mm. had your period of dominance you were actually really rude and just won a whole (laughs) lot of games and and took a whole bunch of silverware and Hawthorne did the same whereas the Bulldogs we know how good we are so what we're doing is Every month we decide we're not going to do something that would help us win the game. So as we talked about on this pod, for Lent we gave up kicking straight. Always aim for the behinds. Now clearly, you know, we're out of Easter. Our new thing is we're not allowed to take a mark in our forward half because then then it's just too easy. We're going to dominate. The league becomes boring. So that's why we let Adelaide take so many intercept marks. And look, we were still going to win the game. However, um, we were robbed by the umpires. Uh, I don't know if you oh saw this, Clinchy. Uh, but uh, Bont gets the goal to put us one, you know, within one point. There's seven seconds left. Plenty of time to put the dot, you know, to just do a tap, kick it down the front. Norton takes a mark. We win the game. However, he bounces it and it went, you know, outside of the circuit. So we had to retake it. But that took two seconds off the clock, which they didn't put back on. I mean, what's the point of us being so polite if you're just going to change, if you're just going to cheat? Clinchy, is that how you viewed it? Well, I was there. I commentated the game. So I, I did have a pretty good viewpoint. And if you can't win it in 119 and 54 seconds, Danny, I'm not sure you deserve the chance to win in the last six seconds. But uh, <laughs> Adelaide were impressive. Um, they kicked two goals, seven, and looked like they were going to give it up. It felt like the, the narrative of the game was going, the Crows would knock on the door, knock on the door, knock on the door, and then the Bulldogs would take it down the other end, kick two goals late in the game, win it, and probably didn't deserve to. So uh, full credit to Adelaide. You can see some improvement, keeping in mind they, they lost their first, I think it was 13 or 14 games under Matty Nix when he took over the coaching reins in 2020. You, you can see a bit of what they're trying to build, and Tex Walker makes them a better side. There, there's no doubt about that. His composure to kick under pressure and to nail that goal. Shane McAdams showing some really good signs. You touched on Billy Frampton, who looked really good at centre-half back. So, um, 
just the interest of the experience test. So whenever we go to somewhere like Ballarat, there's always a crash. So we had a crash just before Backers Marsh. And every year I go down with Mark McClure and he is the worst sort of driver in traffic. Just can't stand it. But as soon as he sees a crash, he goes, that's it. I'm off. I'm on the exit. No idea where he's going. He managed to take enough side streets that we found our way back onto the freeway in front of the crash. Successfully Amazing. was able to maneuver it, uh, maneuver this sort of change to get in front of the crash. But you do lose about five years each time we do this trip down to Ballarat. So for the waffle, <laughs> the donuts, the roasted potato, it's a great experience. I love the interaction with the, the crowd. I think there was 10,000 there, which was probably mm. a record for that, that Ballarat attendance. Um, great showpiece, low-scoring event, but um, we've got to do something about the ability to get into Ballarat. Yeah, uh, have a chat to V-Line, um, if you would, because I feel <laughs> like an outside, an outside intervention might help Ballarat people because I think we've complained enough about getting to and from Melbourne um, that they're not listening to us anymore. So maybe you Melbourne city types, you big city types, um, can just have a little sneaky word. But it always seems to happen like that. I mean, that about that Bacchus Marsh turn off as well, you just get so stuck there. It's just, but there's a, I mean, back roads in the country. Isn't that the experience you're looking for? Like that is <laughs> if you the, are going to be the... home of the Commonwealth Games and we're going to have the athletics take place in Ballarat, <laughs> we're going to need a few more ways to get in. I don't care if we run. go through cow paddocks, through sheep paddocks. Let's make it happen. They can run all the way from Backers Marsh into Ballarat. That's part of the athletics. That's part of the track. Um, we'll put them down the highway when it's blocked off after a crash. Well, sorry, Danny. It was. I think it was a good result. And, yes, Ballarat um, has some work to do ahead of the Commonwealth Games, but that's ages away. Like, there'll be like a sky train by then. We'll be like flying to the games or something like that. I've been watching Blade Runner, so um, my, sorry about that. But, anyway, moving on to the what's called the – Best zero and five team uh, in in the history finally got their finally got the girl on the weekend. Port Adelaide finally got their win against West Coast, so it's like a bit harsh. It hardly counts, and also their team finally unlocked. Like they remembered, oh yeah, we're good because it was all of those players. It was Connor Rosie, Travis Boak, the Brownlow medalist Ollie Wines. All of a sudden, remembered, oh, we're quite good at this. And really got the job done. 18 goals. They kicked 18-9. It was an absolute belting um, at Adelaide Oval. But my question to you, does it count? Uh, And what does it say about their season so far (laughs) if they beat that random collection of tradies from WA? <laughs> well, I mean, winning by 84 points helps to erase some of the poor memories of the start of the season. And, and they did start of the week before against Carlton. They, they played really well in the second half there. So a bit of consistency um, in their effort and probably in their personnel as well to get Alia back and Robbie Gray. Um, Port Adelaide a building. It's just the opponent they played West Coast are, are really a fascinating case. I mean, they've had a lot of... <laughs> COVID numbers and, and players out with health and safety, but, I mean, they're the most disappointing side. Put um, the Bombers to one side. What's going on with the West Coast Eagles? I honestly can't tell you, given we don't get to see them live nearly enough, but for the calibre of players in which they have, and, and keep in mind Tim Kelly left Geelong to go there, um, I've just felt like West Coast have never really hit their straps since that trade took place. That's actually so true, and I feel a bit uh, – I feel like Tim Kelly is a really interesting case study with what is happening with West Coast because if you think about how 
how good he was at Geelong and how controversial that move was because Geelong was so, they were just so reluctant to give him up to go to West Coast and he has never played that football at home in West Coast and part of it was that he wanted to be at home and he thought that, that would be really good for his football and that hasn't really worked out. And also they, I think a lot of the off-field stuff maybe over the over the summer, not knowing if Jack Darling was going to play, not knowing kind of being separated probably from the rest of the country for such a big period of time like who knows but I'm I mean we're about to talk about the other WA team it hasn't affected them in fact they are looking better than ever so West Coast is just extraordinary they've still got those amazing players they've still I mean Elliot Yeo's in the team they've still got Josh Kennedy's but like it's it's crazy to me Danny do you have a theory the only theory I've got on this, uh, now, as I said, I was doing the comedy festival all weekend, so I've had to like catch up by watching a lot of uh, highlights and things on afl.com.au. And, uh, and look, as I'm, I'm a bit cantankerous this weekend, uh, you know, I'm just feeling the exhaustion of a month of working every single night, my team not being as good <laughs> as expected. And look, I'm just going to put all of my anger towards one man, Kane Corns. <laughs> he's doing analysis of these games and he was genuinely saying, Saying like, well, Porter back. I mean, it could be a top eight miracle. Of course, they're playing West Coast, so it doesn't matter. It's like, mate, have some consistency in your messaging here. Mm. So, uh, no, I don't have a theory. And really, I think that's how all West Coast games should be reported until they have their side back. Just be like, it sh- don't even show the highlights. Just be like, oh, and by the way, the Lions won, but it was against West Coast. So let's go to weather. <laughs> that's right. Moving on. I think it's just one of those ones that Port Adelaide just goes, okay, I'm glad we didn't lose that one and then imagine how bad that would have been. Um, and then away they go on with the rest of their season, hopefully on the up from now. And as I mentioned, like WA mystery, like West Coast mystery, but it is not whatever that uh, Western Australian juju is, it's not affecting Frio. They are absolutely flying and it was awesome to watch them on Saturday night um, on the big stage against Carlton. And I, it was a game that, in my opinion, should have been closer. I was kind of annoyed about it because, you know, I felt like these two teams were really well matched and I thought, cool, we're going to get it here. And then Carlton did Carlton, you know, and just did not really um, <laughs> do what they what I needed them to do to make it more entertaining. But Frio, like, they are, they are yet to have Nat Five back in that team. They look amazing. I loved it. I loved watching them win. Clinchy, a Frio what they would call in football world, the real deal. TRD. TRD. The perennial question that's being asked every week when we're trying to find something to talk about. Are they the real deal? Can you believe in them? Uh, I think there's some good things about Freo. Look at the way in which they're they're scoring at the moment and their scoring is up to, I think, 88 points per average game. So that's always been one of the things of the Dockers is they've been a great defensive side Mm. under Justin Longmuir and now we're starting to see their ability to attack. So they've got players like Lockie Schultz who's having a great Mm. start in the season, Matt Tabernar alongside Rory Lobb, um, Michael Walters probably isn't playing his best footy, but he can complement that forward line. And, and Sean Darcy, a real threat in the ruck. So as you touched on with Nat Fife to come back in, Andy Brayshaw, Adam Chera, um, now at Carlton, he got booed every time he got a touch. So <laughs> I thought Frio sort of showed that they, even though they lack a player of that quality, they're not completely exposed by losing it. Whereas for so long, the adage was Frio without Nat Pfeiffer is not competitive. Mm-hmm. So I think that puts him in good stead. He can be 
um, the final piece that's going to come in and absolutely absolutely complement their lineup as to where he plays, whether he plays forward, whether he plays in the midfield. I think that's a luxury they'll be able to deal with. But yeah, I guess for the moment, Freo, what they're doing is definitely finals worthy. And then Carlton, you leave yourself questioning, well, where is it breaking down? And probably the most obvious comment is when they're missing Mark Pitnett, who provides so much for their centre clearance work, they're just not as good a side. So there's a bit for Michael Voss to work through, but I still feel like they'll be a side who should be able to scrape in for finals. And a lot a lot of Carlton fans will feel like that'll be enough and that they can continue to build over the next couple of years because they don't really want for too much, Carlton. It's just about their natural progression with guys like Harry McCoy and Charlie Curnow. Like, imagine having two forwards like that. Um who knows? Maybe Liam Jones will come out of, you know, having not got vaccinated and find his way back in the AFL next season. And all of a sudden, Carlton's side, you know, they're still paying a lot of money for a couple of halfback flankers in um, Adam Sard and Zach Williams. Mm. But they, they've done it pretty well. Danny, did you like the – what are your thoughts on Freo? Where do you stand on Freo, Danny? Because I know I'm a real Freo sympathy, sympathetic. I don't know why. I just love him. Where do, you, where do you stand? Yeah, I used to like him a lot more. I really absolutely lost respect for them in that 2015 prelim against Hawthorne where where that Freo fan just belted a woman in the crowd. It really uh, – do, do you remember this? Was, um, it was a prelim I I final. I that out. It was very tense and, yeah, just one of their – like, just one fan turned me off the entire club. He, oh, he, that's yeah, fair, he belted though. a woman in the crowd. And ever since then, I've been pretty neutral in the uh, in the WA Derby. Um, but, yeah, look, Frio, uh, uh, they've they've got Bob Murphy, Matty Boyd in the coaching mm. ranks. You've got – even their CEO, Simon Garlic, used to <laughs> run uh, the Bulldogs. So, they're you know, as their feeder club, I'm very happy for them. Um, but I have a question for Clinchy because uh, this is where my, my anger towards Kane Corns also came from. He was doing that thing that TV commentators can do, but you can't as a radio guy, and it's such a cheap trick. What you do is – you're showing footage from behind the goals and then you highlight one player and this one player could be a goal sneak or whatever and, uh, you know, it was, it was, there was a Carlton player, no, a Freo player, sorry, running through the uh, the forward 50 and took a mark and then Kane Cords has gone, why is no one manning up on him? I mean, clearly they're playing a zone defence but why is no one manning up on him? Like, you just contradicted yourself. They're playing a zone defence. They're not doing man on man so that's why no one manned up on him but it just... <laughs> Because he's used the highlight and behind the goals footage, it makes it, it gives it credence. And you go, oh, yeah, wow, he's really thought about this. No, he hasn't. It's cheap. You can't do that on radio, but do you wish you could? <laughs> I was going to give the famous politician like, what's the question here? Do I wish I could? Um, sometimes. I mean, sometimes you get frustrated watching teams who they fall for the same tricks week in, week out, that you know what you know, Adelaide's strength is going to be, and, and yet the Bulldogs uh, weren't able to, to work out that Frampton across halfback was going to be the, the, the pivotal threat because they don't have enough tall targets. So, yeah, I guess sometimes you get frustrated that you want to sort of blatantly expose what's going on in the game, but most of the time that's part of the charm of the, the battle is that one team works it out quicker than the other, and that's why we're seeing, I guess, a few more players like Scott Penelbury yesterday was, was awesome for Collingwood playing across halfback, and He's almost become a coach out on the field. If they can get those guys who are smart enough to recognise what's going on in a game. Um, Essendon had their four best midfielders all sitting on the bench at the same time at one stage mm. in the last quarter, and you sort of shake your head. And how, how can you have Parrish, Merritt, Shield, all on the and Draper all on the bench at one time? Like anyway, so yeah, there, there's moments like that. But with radio, we don't get the same luxury, do we? We can't be as no. smug as what you can be on TV. No. But. Mark McClure gives it a good red-hot go, I reckon. He could paint a picture um, on one person. 
I think he I think he has a good crack. Well, that was Saturday footing. Now let's turn to the first game of the weekend in Tassie, beloved Tassie. Now I know I'm going to sound like Mary Poppins, but like it was obvious that Geelong were going to beat North Melbourne. But I still think North kicking ten nine goals is good. <laughs> for them even though they got absolutely smashed and I know this just sounds like everybody gets a medal but like Geelong are really good they're full forwards up and about Jeremy Cameron seven goals Tom Hawkins four goals like that just seems unfair and soon I will rant about my own team but seeing full forwards who are paid a lot of money take marks in the full forward like that is like I, it's like a fantasy to me. I can't fathom it happening in a team. And these two full forwards absolutely killing it. I'm just like, Geelong are good. North Melbourne still kicked nine goals. They could have kicked none. I feel like they did all right. Wasn't this what we expected? Yeah, I think a little bit. North Melbourne, you know, only kicking two goals in the first half and Geelong kicking seven was probably the part where Roos fans just want to see a bit more of that improvement, that progression to be competitive for longer. They, they played a bit better in the second half, but the damage was done by then. Um, they're not as talented North as what they would like to believe. And so I think the hard part is that they've gone and recruited some players like um, Coleman Jones from the Tigers, and then they're, they're not playing him. Um, Todd Goldstein's mm. still their, their best ruckman, and they want to play Tristan Sherry. So there's a few things about North that don't quite stack up at the moment. Jared Polak's a, a rookie-listed player, so um, that, they're missing Ben Cunnington, obviously, and, and some of their, their other players who are out at the moment. But all of a sudden, there's a bit of pressure now on David Noble to, to see what he's trying to build. Um, and this is often the case with, with coaches who are in their sort of second or third year as to supporter groups have patience for a certain amount of time and then they're like, right, now we actually need to see some evidence that yeah, you're sending this team on the right path. And I just think it's mm. getting harder and harder unless you get that combination of drafting the right talent. And they've got Jason Horn francis who's going to be a great player, but then also recruiting the right players. And there's no point recruiting players if you're not going to play them. And that's where I think North are a bit at the moment with their, their supporters who are getting a bit frustrated. And we could really use Colin, Callum Coleman Jones. I got a badge. Like, I got a badge of him and then he just left me to go to North Melbourne and not even play. And so I feel personally <laughs> offended about that. Uh, Danny, where do you stand on the on the on the kangaroos? Uh, yeah, they're, you know, they're in a rebuild. They're like, uh, it's like West Coast. It's, these matches should be reported with an asterisk. They're going, yeah, Geelong won, but it was against North Melbourne who are, mm. you know, in a rebuild, you know. So I will give a shout out to Ollie Dempsey's friends. Uh, Ollie Dempsey made his, uh, I don't know if it was his debut for Geelong or definitely got yeah, one of his goals. And all of his friends took their tops off in the in the stands. I think it just said, go Dempsey. There was like, you know, nine of them. And look, a topless celebration is always fun, but it means so much more in Tasmania because that would have been very cold. They would have had hypothermia. They could have had someone's eye out with their nipples. So well done to their friends doing some sacrificing uh, their own health for their friend. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Everybody doing their bit. It's the one percenters like that that really count. Um, now, the Q clash, the mango tango, as we call it here on They Came to Play. Uh, Brisbane, too good. I mean, once again, Suns, I, I would like to talk to you both about the Suns because I feel like they should be better at this stage. And it kind of, I, I really went hard early in the year on this podcast saying, I thought, 
I thought the Suns would be so good and hugely improved. And they just once again just seem not quite there. It's huge improvements, obviously. Um, but yeah, they're not quite there. And they would just the Lions were too good. The Lions, to me, I can't wait to see them play Melbourne and actually see how those two teams match up because they're just quietly going about their business smashing teams but doing it in the north, so we're not hearing as much about them. But, yeah, did this um, – who impressed you more? To, like the, the the Lions, how, how do you see their, their season, Clinchy? Yeah, I mean, chatting to a few guys who commentated the game, they, they thought the Gold Coast Suns would be far more competitive. I must admit, I thought Brisbane would always be too strong, but five goals to two in the, the first quarter and nine goals to 4-10 in the first half really shot the Suns in the foot. So, uh, unfortunately, despite their best endeavours to start the season better once more, and this has been often the, the time they play their best footy, and then uh, Stuart Drew's record, I think, from round 13 onwards has been pretty mm. horrible. So, uh, I must be honest, I'm in the camp that it says a lot about how well Brisbane are travelling. So, six goals to Zach Bale, four to Charlie Cameron, three to Joe Danaher. It feels like the forward line is starting to click and they'll get Eric Hipwood back as well. But the hard part for the Brisbane Lions is this is all qualifying, really. you got to get to the, the finals and they'll play a qualifying final. And given they've had such a horrible record in finals, they, they just need to get to them and win. So yeah. uh, ideally looking to qualify second, try and get second on the ladder, given it feels like Melbourne are the team everyone's chasing. But um, for Brisbane, it's about doing all the heavy lifting to get to the part where you've stumbled over the last couple of seasons. So I thought they just did what they had to do on Saturday and and once more they're impressive again. Danny? Uh, I was so impressed with the Lions' uh, accuracy. However, I'm such a sore loser at the moment. <laughs> I, I can only take teams that actually kick strike as a personal attack. <laughs> I mean, yesterday's last quarter, the Magpies and the Bombers, and they're just slotting every goal. And I'm like, there's yep. no need to rub it in, you pricks. You jerks. You jerks. Yeah. I would be quite worried if I was a Demons fan because the Lions are so good, as are the Saints, as are the Dockers. And if that's the top four, the Demons have gone from uh, fairy tale to villains in 12 months. Normally mm. it takes a bit longer than that, but uh, <laughs> th- th- no one is going to be cheering for the d- – no neutral is going to want to see the Demons lift another trophy. So <laughs> I, if I was the Demons, I'd be praying that some other villainous team come – maybe Hawthorne should uh, just come fire good. up again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, don't say that. Don't say things that <laughs> – don't put that out into the universe because you know how these, these things work. Well, speaking of accuracy – we, my Tigers were absolutely blessed with the inaccuracy of, of Melbourne on Sunday night because we would have been flogged. We would have been out of this game so early, so much earlier had they kicked straight. And um, they were 9-22-76, defeated us 54. We were pretty flat, I will say. Now, one of my biggest frustrations is that um, although I know Tom Lynch is always has, you know, two or three opponents, I just... I desperately, all I want in this world is to see him take marks and just kick the goals. Like he doesn't take marks at this. And like on the weekend, it was just so frustrating. He was so struggling um, to get a clean mark. And Jack Rewalt was still taking them like on the side of his body and trying really hard to get into a different position to take the marks. And I felt like with our cattle that are still out, we're still really missing Kane Lambert. Clearly we're missing missing Dusty. Um, we've lost a lot of our assistant coaches. There's just things that aren't quite right at the Tigers at the moment. Danny, I can see your hand and I will come to you. <laughs> I 
if I want, but I'm just frustrated by our inability to switch things up in the game. And I know it's because we actually don't have the numbers at the moment to get that happening. And it just feels like I've said it in this pod many times before that we're in a weird transition time where things still feel like they could happen. I mean, at certain times on Sunday night, it felt like, oh no, we could still have this. But then it was really only Melbourne's inaccuracy that was keeping us in it. Danny, I guess well, you can go. I just got a bit of uh, just a bit of biology uh, talk here, Tess. The reason uh, Tom Lynch is struggling to take marks is um, fo- people. This is a scientific fact that um, the leather of the football is often attracted to the soul of the human because the leather used to be a living thing. And with Tom Lynch lacking a soul, um, it just it, the ball is 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 repelled by him. Oh my god, Danny! He's such a nice person. No, he's not. You just- Yes, he's he is. A, he's he, a is. he does he cheap is. shots. He walked out on the Suns. He is he's he's the Draco Malfoy of, of football. No, that's not true. And like anywho, we, we may get it together still. It's still really early in the season. Once we get Dusty back, once we get Kane back, maybe things will all start to kind of come together. Ivan Soldo gonna hit some straps, but it just feels Yes, Fight have hope, Tess. To me. Have hope. Now, have hope, da- please. Now, now, I will. It's always there. I mean, I'm a loser. I just forget that I've said this in, on like Thursday, and I think we're going to win again. So, da- Clinchy, you're you're a neutral. You watch footy differently. We, the next game we have to play is West Coast. Now, I'm going to say it does count if we win, even though I've just previously said it doesn't. Well, you're Kate Collins now. <laughs> Here's my inspiration. Now, Clinchy, where do we fit in in your mind this season? (laughs) We're all allowed to chop and change a few times in our opinions, especially when it comes to our teams. I was a bit more bullish around Richmond. I thought their first half for a team that is is lacking talent at the moment compared to Melbourne. They they fought admirably and and Melbourne finally kicked a goal late in the first quarter. Had that not happened through Ben Brown, that would have been their first goalless quarter um, since back before they were premiers. So I thought Richmond need their best players available. So they need Dustin Martin to come back in. They need Kane Lambert. They need Dylan Grimes. Um, Probably Ivan Soldo, maybe, but that might allow Noah Bolter to go back in defence. So I think their biggest concern at the moment has been their defence. But uh, there's going to be plenty of teams like Melbourne who are going to absolutely expose that. Um, You're right. I mean, 9-22 in the end, it could have been an eight or nine goal difference. And we probably would have looked at it a little bit differently. But um, for me, the the intent from Richmond was, was back, the ability to try and hunt the footy. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's just going to be whether they can actually execute that in front of goal. Jack Revolt with a big goal just ahead of three-quarter time, so I think yes. he's still playing a pivotal role. Um, yeah, you look at they've got West Coast, Collingwood, Hawthorne, Essendon. So they, they should win yes. definitely a couple of them. I think the big question mark is going to be Hawthorne and the Bombers. Um, I think the Hawks are going a bit better than the Tigers at the moment, but I could still I could still see them sort of scraping into finals and then they're going to be the type of team that's going to have to win, you know, three or four in a row in the back end of the season and try and build momentum. They're not going to be the force in which they've been when they won multiple premierships. No, but I do think this is the only time in when I think if we do get it together and our players come back and we make finals, then our experience will be handy because um, we'll be thrilled to be there and they love the story. You know, Dimmer loves the story, you know, that this could be the time where we've still got one in us. So maybe who who knows? But Melbourne, I mean, honestly, I know we say this every week, but they 
are so ridiculously good. They're actually good in a really different way than when we were dominant and good because we were scrappy and good. You know, we would make chances out of everything. They are clean and so strong. And Max Gorn and Clayton Oliver are like four people on the field. Like they're in every single contest. I don't understand how it works. Like Max Gorn is the forward, the ruck and the defender. I have no idea how they are so good. They are just unbelievable. So once they kind of get on a run, it's quite annoying because you think, oh, I don't see anyone um, defeating them if they're actually in top form. Yeah, we were pondering on radio who would be the player who would affect them the most if they were to lose him. Mm. And, and we ended up coming up with Max Scorn, who, mm-hmm. who would probably be the one, even though you could easily argue Stephen May or Clayton Oliver. And uh, Clayton Oliver had 41 disposals, 13 clearances, once more another um Anzac Eve medalist, the, the Checker Hughes medal. But, um, yeah, I mean, Melbourne are a side who are absolutely flying at the moment. They can't squeeze all their players into their, their team. They're going that well mm. with Tom McDonald playing in the VFL. Casey, you're unbeaten. Kicked three goals on the weekend. So I think everybody's waiting to see if Melbourne slip up more so than who can challenge Melbourne, although it probably feels like maybe Brisbane, Sydney, um I don't think you can make the case Frio. They're probably only the three or four teams that you could see them mm. on one day beating them. And keep in mind, it's not the EPL. So finishing on top of the ladder gets yeah. you the right to play in you know your home finals, but it doesn't guarantee you a premiership. But for the moment, <laughs> everyone's chasing Melbourne. So that's, a, that's the biggest challenge. And they're, they're out with a game lead on top of the ladder. Um, they're doing a lot right. Are they ever? And you mentioned Sydney there. They are also doing a lot right. Sydney and like... Surprising. I mean, I think we just did the classic John Longmo, like, oh, we'll just wait for Sydney to come good again. And then it's like, oh, no, they are good. Like, they are good again. They were phenomenal on the weekend. Like, that turnaround, to be able to do that, to rally a young group to come from, what that, what were they, 41? 32. They were 41-point winners and they were 32 points behind. Like, that's a an enormous turnaround um, in Tasmania at a ground you hardly play in. But that was just, they were phenomenal. And sorry to the Hawks listeners, I'm not. No, I am. I really am. But also Buddy against Hawthorne, like he just, he there's something in that where Buddy will, is always going to fire up against the Hawks. So, yeah, they were way too good. I loved that Ben Ronk played well. And I know this sounds extremely niche, but I remember Ben Ronk's debut, right? He came on. He'd never played before. He kicked like, Eight, how many goals on debut? Like seven, eight or, yeah. yeah, like seven or eight goals. And then he kind of never quite got there again. And then he was in and out of the top, out of the side. So to see him kick three goals on the weekend and play really good footy, as he has done a bit this year, I was just like disproportionately happy for Ben Ronk, which is something I haven't said before. Clinchy, this one's they're up and about. And you said the Hawks are in fine form as well. But as we mentioned before, which what do you think this says more about, Hawks or Swans? Yeah, I'm a bit in the Hawthorne camp. Maybe that's because I saw them beat Geelong the week before and, and that's still sort of fresh in my mind that I think for a developing team, a rebuilding team, they're they're exceeding my expectations as to where I thought they would be and that was without Mitch Lewis on the weekend. So they kicked seven goals to Sydney's four in the first half and then the Swans were able to kick 12 goals to three in the second half. So almost completely different games um, from one half to the other. Um, as you touched on Lance Franklin with three goals for it, felt like it was going to be another sort of buddy afternoon where he absolutely turns it on. Um, Isaac Heaney's one of the stars of the competition, mainly because the goals he kicks, and yet he's still a player mm-hmm. who's going to average sort of 20 disposals, kick somewhere between sort of two to five goals. And 
Um, it was almost that conversation around what would you prefer yesterday with Anzac Day, Jack Ginevan kicking five goals or Darcy Parrish getting sort of 40 disposals in a, a losing side. I feel like Sydney's got the luxury of both with Isaac Haney. He could play mm. in the midfield, get sort of 20 disposals, or he can play up forward and kick sort of three valuable goals at the time in which you need it. The, the one concerning part of the game was um, obviously the, the concussion scare that took place for, for um, Paddy McCartan. Mm. The good news is that John Longmire after the match said that they're not actually fearful it's a ninth concussion, that actually he was just more concerned that um, he was a bit dazed and wasn't able to um, recall some of the concussion test answers that once they did them again after the game, he was actually okay. So um, maybe that's just a bit of his concern of what he's been through in the past, that he's still jittered whenever he gets a, a knock to the head. But um, yeah, hopefully they may be resting for a week just to be 100% sure because it's great to see him playing alongside his brother Tom and concussions one of the, the great challenges of the AFL at the moment as to how they manage it and that's originally what the medical sub was brought into and it's been adapted over the last sort of six to twelve months that now teams are using it for corked thigh we saw um I think Thompson Dow was subbed out for on on Anzac Eve so um the actual merit of what it's being used for is probably not the same as what it should but when you do see cases like Paddy McCartan um you just hope that he's able to get a consistent run at it yeah, and just how devastating that must be for his family and partner and everyone to watch when they watch on the tally every weekend. It's um yeah, it's very hard to to deal with that how devastated he looked in the rooms as well and just to really think about how much we're learning about concussion and just where we're at with that conversation is just um scary and ongoing. Danny, anything anything on the Swans and the Hawks for you? Uh, this game was boring and then not boring and then boring again. Uh, so I was. I was, you know, I watched the first, you know, then pile on the first few goals. I'm like, oh, I can't deal with this. I'm too tired to to watch Hawthorne be happy. Uh, and then, <laughs> and I actually watched a bit of Melbourne Victory on Paramount Plus. Actually, got it to work. But then I switched back because it was so close. And I went, oh, great! This is going to be an epic last quarter. And then it wasn't. They the the Swans yep. smashed them. But uh, yeah, it was fun. And and one of the commentators did point out that if Buddy could finish his career with a premiership. Somehow they're turning Buddy Franklin going to the Swans into a fairy tale. Now that is that is well done, Don Longmire. I don't know how you craft that that storyline, but it would actually be a fairy tale. It really would. It would be amazing, and also it'd just be so out of nowhere this year in the story in the storylines that I'd be I'm up for that. Um, now the game oh, it was an absolute cracker. A game that actually was really exciting. All, almost all the way to the end. Essendon, Collingwood, the Anzac Day clash, traditional. They always usually turn it on, actually, which is excellent. And yesterday was no was no uh, exception. It was fantastic. Clinchy, congratulations. It must be a thrill because <laughs> yeah. you were calling alongside Corbin, who I know is a Bombers fan. And as a Pies fan, does that give you like a, a bit of extra joy? Like, you know, that like there's a bit of personal and just professional satisfaction. A little bit, a little bit. I mean, the boring answer is that you're actually a bit disconnected to your team when they're playing in home and away games. It's when you get to finals where it starts to feel there's a bit more on the line. But that's not to say that you don't enjoy when they win, and especially uh, those games on Anzac Day where the Bombers are flying and, and Collingwood are the underdogs and they find a way to do so. That, that's the great part about this rivalry is that regardless of where both sides sit on the ladder, they, they tend to put on a pretty good show. Uh, 84,000, so the biggest crowd since the Women's World Cup. Uh, that took place at the MCG pre-pandemic. Mm. Um, AFL-wise, you've got to go back to the 2019 Grand Final, which, let's be honest, Tess would love to go back to that time. But 
<laughs> I thought the Bombers, um, they actually brought their best, which is what you want for the occasion. Their, their first half, they, they played pretty well, and uh, Collingwood led by eight points. I actually, I thought the Bombers might sort of offer a bit of a surge in that uh, third quarter, and, and they did. Um but Collingwood just had the answers to every time they sort of got within uh, sort of two goals in the in the last quarter. They, they'd get sort of close enough, but just not quite good enough to be able to keep back-to-back goals. And um, there's a lot to like about Jack Ginnivan, Brody Mychek, mm. who they got, of course, who used to be a forklift driver at a warehouse in Port Melbourne. So they've, they've found a, <laughs> a couple of makeshift forwards. Um, Ginnivan's a, an interesting case. He's clearly a guy who doesn't mind to... Um, antagonise opposition and, and then quite likes the attention with his ability to deliver in the big moments. And, and that's what I think all young players um, endeavour to be. Um, there's probably a bit of the, the young generation generation next that, that rubs a few of the old school supporters up the wrong way. But I think the ultimate compliment is if you can do it in a big game in front of a crowd like that at the MCG, well, even the, the most staunch opponents to him have to tip their cap to him so um yeah Craig McRae's first win in an Anzac Day match and it it puts Collingwood interestingly placed at three and three you know they're like probably Hawthorne uh Richmond um Bulldogs you know sides who are, who are fighting in the bottom edge of the, the top eight who haven't quite shown the the dominance of teams like Melbourne and and Frio and Brisbane in the early stages so uh, interesting to see where Collingwood end up at the end of the year do you remember when Eddie Maguire was the president of Collingwood. They'd always have a camera on him, especially when Do Collingwood we? were losing. And you just, you just, you know, you, there was nothing better than seeing sad Eddie uh, when yeah. Collingwood were losing. I was really disappointed that, uh, that, you know, once again, I'm going to bring him up. Kane Corns wasn't in the crowd <laughs> and just the camera on him every time Jack Ginnivan did yes. something. Because, look, if you don't remember, earlier in the year, Jack Ginnivan, you know, made it, it was his debut against St Kilda, wasn't it, Clinchy? Yeah. And he, he played really well. And he celebrated yep. and Kane Corns did the classic, well, mate, it's your first game. You can't enjoy. No, you, listen, I want to enjoy this young man, even if he never plays another game of football again. He's achieved his ultimate dream and he is loving mm-hmm. every second of it. If that's not why we love sport, then what the hell are we doing here? So I love yep. that this guy is absolutely loving life. I don't care if he can't back it up. Man, I don't care if he if he if he gets thumped from from here for the rest of his career. He's had that moment and we all got to enjoy it with him. I would have just loved a camera on Kane Corns when he was announced as the Anzac medal winner. <laughs> Just to see his tiny mind explode with rage. Oh. I mean Jack Inovan smiled when he got the medal. Mate, mate, you've you've played what, six games? You haven't won a premiership? You shouldn't be smiling. <laughs> Yeah, oh, and when he wins one in Premiership, we haven't won four Premierships, so stop smiling. Yeah. I mean, never, I must say, I remember listening to, I think it was Bob Murphy, he was interviewed by Emma Race, and he was, and she asked him about, you know, the the former player criticisms of younger players, blah, 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 and I cannot stop thinking about it because Bob said, you know, essentially they don't care because they don't know who these people are, and it's actually stayed with me so much. So last uh, grand final. I'm sorry to bring it up, Danny, but there was a photo of Cody Waitman as a teenager with his idol. And who was his idol? It wasn't like Nick Rewalt or Kane Corns. It was Christian Petrarca, who he was playing against, who was like a few years older than him. And it blew my mind because I thought, oh, okay. So if just for example, Kane Corns has a massive go at Cody Waitman, like he was like that, their generational difference is extraordinary. He does not care actually what you have to say. He doesn't, doesn't know you necessarily. And you can still have heroes of the past and stuff like that. But I think that sometimes enrages the footy ex-player even more, you know, that 
that they're not paying attention to what I have to say. So I think Kane Corns is more mad that Ginnivan uh, probably doesn't care actually and then that's kind of perpetuating this because you're right, like <laughs> he might. And also it's great to have players that are, slight, are, are kind of pesty, like it's fun. And I've kind of missed that in the last couple of years because we're not letting players be have personalities at all and then we're complaining that they don't have personalities and they don't have personalities because of this, because they're kind of three weeks content about someone's GoPro. Who cares? That didn't tell me anything about him. What told me more about him was that after that moment, he had that moment with Joel Salwood where he got right up in Joel Salwood's face in that amazing close contest against Geelong. And then again today and yesterday on the big field, he kicked five goals and he won the Anzac Day medal. That tells me about him. Not the fact that he used a GoPro and not the fact that he smiles when he win, kicks a goal. Like they're the stories that we have to tell and let people be people. And we can still get annoyed at them when they play our teams. In fact, we should because that's what we love about this game. And just like let them let them show who they are, let them tell us who they are so that we actually get to see the personalities of people. Otherwise, we don't really care about this game. We just want to see robots running around after each other and then we would still bag the robots for not performing up to our standards, like, and not showing us their personality. But seriously, I loved it. It was awesome. Awesome game, good way to top off the weekend and um, a good reminder ahead of the blockbuster clash between my Tigers and the West Coast Eagles, which is the opening round of next week. And there's a couple of good games the next week. I have to shout out to the fact that there are identical twins playing in the AFL. If people don't follow the game very closely, Harry Mackay, Ben Mackay oh no, play Tess. for two different. Oh no! Oh no! I don't want to what? be the bearer of bad news, but Uh-oh. Ben Mackay has copped a one-week suspension <gasps> from the AFL match review. Therefore, he will not be playing against no! Harry, and therefore, oh this God. will continue on for another year. We actually interviewed. Uh, their mum and dad on ABC Radio. This wasn't even the last time they played against each other. This was uh, a couple of times ago, thinking they'd be playing against each other. And I think on that occasion, Harry was a a late withdrawal with a foot injury. So for the four or five years they've been in the AFL competition together, and and Ben took a while to get in the North Melbourne side. They've never played against each other, and they won't again this week. Oh, my goodness. I think that it plays well into the theory that they're the same person. There's actually only one of them not identical twins because if they've never played against each other, um, how could we possibly tell? That's so annoying. Anyway, well, that just really puts a bummer, I'm going to say, on the Carlton North (laughs) Melbourne game. (laughs) That's a real I get the luxury of uh, heading down the freeway to Geelong. So I've been to Ballarat last week, down <laughs> in Geelong this week. So looking forward to seeing the Cats and the Dockers. I think there's a bit to like about that in terms of mm-hmm. Fremantle's credibility Great being game. tested on the road. Um, obviously, they beat the Bombers in Melbourne. They beat Carlton in, in uh, Western Australia, but now to play Geelong in Geelong, where they have had a good record. You think back to some – I think they won a final there. Um, 2013. Yeah, so um, yeah, they haven't been as intimidated as what other clubs had been. Um, the other one I've got on Sunday is the Bulldogs and the Bombers. So, Danny, I don't want to get you nervous, but um, this might be a chance to either fill your boots or sit through an uncomfortable afternoon. Yeah, yep. It's uh, And I'm back working for the Bulldogs this weekend as uh, as a match day MC in the Fancy Pants area. So, uh, look, we've we've said it for years, no McGinley, no Bulldogs. So I'm thinking this will be the turning point, the fact that the COVID restrictions have been lifted and now I can go back to hosting. And it just, 
Look, I don't, you know, there's a reason they call me the X Factor. <laughs> the X Factor. The other game to close out the weekend, Tess, is uh, Sydney and the Brisbane Lions. So that, that's a great way to close yeah. out the weekend. Uh, twilight match from the SCG. Uh, so the Swans at home. Um, yeah, really interested to see if um, if what we've seen from Brisbane so far can be challenged by a team like Sydney, who I, I really think are, are building in the right direction. Oh, that is actually so good. It's like leaving something with a good taste in your mouth. It doesn't actually matter how the rest of the round goes because that game is going to be a belter, I think, and that'll leave us with a good taste uh, in the mouth before we do our next week's pod. Mad Matt Clinch, it has been so nice having you on the pod, back on the pod. Thank you for joining us and chatting (laughs) footy. Pleasure, guys. Nice to be back with you. Nice to be back and good luck. Good luck to your pies, I guess. Uh, Danny, good luck to the dogs next weekend. Please don't lose to Essendon. And I promise that my Tigers won't lose to West Coast. And then so that if we if we lose our games, there's arguably no pod next week. No, there's no pod. Nah. No, nah, we're, we're, we're going to liquidate it. <laughs> 100% don't want to be involved in a conversation about us losing to West Coast. And it's a high – I'm just nervous about it at Optus Oval. Anywho, uh, go Tigers. <laughs>